Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor in play betting. Watch the action, predict the action, and make your best bet with the latest odds on over 1,000 daily events. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, my name is Jonna, and I play football for Chelsea FC and for the Swedish national team. And you are listening to the Blue Day podcast. Hello Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, I am pleased to welcome this individual on the podcast today. He made 33 appearances for the club, scoring two goals. Plus, he played with the likes of Steve Clark, Eddie Newton and a certain Dennis Wise. Here is Darren Barnard. Darren, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, yeah, looking forward to uh, chatting and reminiscing about the, uh, the good old days. Great. Well, let's let's crack on. Let's actually start from the beginning, shall we? Um, I want to start. What or who was it that made you decide that you wanted to be a professional footballer in the first place? Um, purely down to my dad, really. Um, so from a very young age, uh, I've got an older brother who's a couple of years older than me, but he's he's deaf. So he was in boarding school for the majority of his childhood. So my sister's nine years younger than me. So essentially it was just me and my dad every weekend going to football. Um, he got me involved in it. I was at the age of 13, I was a county footballer, a county cricketer. And I had to make a decision at that point of what I was going to do. And football was obviously a professional sport. Cricket wasn't at the time in the um, sort of mid 80s. So it was a it was an easy decision to me, but I I literally lived and breathed football. Um, you know, unlike my children of today, where they they got headsets on and they're on computers all day, I was outside from first light till till dusk, and it was only the fact that I was probably a bit hungry and had to go home for dinner that I actually actually went back home. But um, you know, I, I lived and breathed football, and that was what I wanted to do from a very young age. And from that young age, when you was as you say, playing football morning, noon and night. Who were your idols growing up as a kid? I was actually a Liverpool fan. Um, my dad was Man U in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And um, I I idolised Kenny Dalglish and, and Ian Rush and that, and that Liverpool team of the sort of late, late 70s, early 80s. So um, he was my idol in terms of when I watched football. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's what sort of got me into it. Um, it was, um, yeah, really, really good sort of growing up in terms of, you know, playing football locally and, 
and getting those opportunities and uh, uh, something that, you know, you'll always treasure, um, you know, as you grow up and you appreciate the things that you did in those days were the things that actually turned you into the player that you became. Now, 31 years ago, in July of 1990, Chelsea signed you. Uh, I believe the, the team that you signed from was Wokenham Town for a fee of £100,000. How did this move come about for you? And was there other teams interested in you? Yeah, so uh, I didn't get offered an apprenticeship when I was 16. Um, so... Uh, it was a case of what I do. I was playing for Wokingham in terms of the youth teams and stuff, and we we played in the uh, in the FA Youth Cup, and we actually managed to get through and played, I think, Swansea in the third round, which was a great experience. And at Christmas time, Crystal Palace came in for me and asked me to go and sign for them. But with myself being uh, just before my 18th birthday, it was a case of I was doing A levels at school, and I wanted to try and finish them off, and uh, Crystal Palace wanted me to sign immediately because they wanted me to play in the FA Youth Cup for them. Um, we, we said no. We said we wanted to finish off our ed- education because of the fact that you know you always need something to fall back on. There's no guarantees I was ever going to become a footballer because I didn't do the apprenticeship scheme. Um, so we had a phone call from Ron Notes, the, the chairman of Palace, saying that they had more problems trying to sign me as a 17, 18-year-old, and they did a million-pound goalkeeper from Leeds United, who turned out to be Nigel Martin. So um, so we turned them, we didn't turn them down. We just said, look, we couldn't sign until the end of the season. So we left it. And I, I was then playing in Wokenham Town's first team, which was equivalent to Conference South um, now. So it was a really good education for me in terms of I was just starting to develop in terms of my physicality. Um, playing against men every week was a great, great education in terms of getting kicked and learning that side of the game. And come the end of the season, I scored, I think the last game of the season, I scored a bicycle kick, um, reminiscent to the one Mark Hughes scored for Wales many years ago. I scored it over at Staines Town against them. And I think Chelsea were there watching me for about the fourth or fifth time. And then um, I got the phone call from the manager at Wokingham that Chelsea wanted to uh, to buy me and um, he basically sold me. Um, the figure banned around was £100,000, but I have no idea. I assume it was. There was a pre-season friendly involved for the following season. But I literally signed the same, same week as Dennis Wise did. Um, obviously, there was a lot more um, furore and, and media attention around Dennis Wise signing than there was me, but... Yeah, you know, it was it was for me. It was it was great. You know, I've gone from literally from a non-league footballer to to what was equivalent to the Premiership, was Division One that first couple of years, and um, yeah, it was, it was a, a great baptism of fire for myself. When you discuss about the change from playing in non-league football all the way up to now the top level of football. Did it take a while for you to adjust to that mentally or was it just a case of once you get to training, it's just same old, same old? Um, No, it was a massive change, huge change for me, especially because I didn't know Frank Sinclair and Eddie Newton are the same age as me. So they obviously went through the apprenticeship program at the club and they knew all the players and everything. So it was a lot easier transition for like those guys becoming first year pros because I was equivalently a first year pro, but I went from one day 
training and playing and watching footballers on TV to the next day, I'm in the same changing rooms as Kerry Dixon and Dennis Wise and um, Steve Clark, you know, people like that. And you're thinking, my God, I'm watching these guys on TV. The next minute I'm, I'm standing next to them. I'm running around a field at pre-season with them. And for it took a long time. It took me probably, I reckon, three or four months to actually come out of my shell a little bit. I was, you know, you're a little bit intimidated by the fact that you're with these guys and you do question, am I good enough? Because they're the, they're the peak of their careers, some of them. But, um, you know, it took, I think, two years for me to actually make my debut in the first team. Personally, I felt that was at least a year too long. I, think, I thought I'd done enough to get in earlier than that. But you have to respect the managers at the time and, and their decisions. And obviously there were some great players there and some of the players that I was rivaling against, you know, Graham Lasseau, Andy Myers... You know, Dennis Wise all sort of played down the left-hand side. So, that, you know, some really, really good players there. Frank Sinclair even played there. I think Gareth Hall played there as well. So, um, there was a lot of competition, but you have to just bide your time, especially as a young player. And then when you do get an opportunity to try and grasp it with both hands. But initially, it was it was a big, big upheaval for myself and a big change in my situation. But, you know, again, something that I would I would never change. Bobby Campbell was the Chelsea coach at the time when you signed. Did you have a conversation with him about his plans for you and what you were hoping for once you signed for the club? Do you want to give you the honest answer? Absolutely. <laughs> nope, not all right. right. I, I think I think he came up and shook my hand, said hello, literally on the first couple of days and... That was probably about it. We were straight into pre-season. There was no, it was a lot, lot different in those days than it is today, obviously. Um, we were over at Harlington. Um, if you remember Harlington, the fields that we trained on were a massive fields. There was a massive field across the road as well. Pre-season training. Again, I, I felt I needed to prove myself. So, you know, I was up at the front in terms of all the running stats and things like that in those first couple of years, just to try and prove that I was worthy of being there. But in terms of a plan for myself, no, there was, there was no plan. It was a case of you've come in, you know, you're in sort of the, the bigger squad of sort of 26, 27 players, you know, prove yourself simple as that. You know, I think, I think indirectly the plan was always let's get him in, let's develop him for a, for a year or two and then let's see where we're at with it from there. So, But it was never communicated to me. It was just get your head down, work hard, let's see what happens. What was your first day of training like? Uh, just walking around with my mouth wide open, I think, because like I say, <laughs> you walk in the dressing rooms, you don't know what to expect. There was a an older dressing room, so senior players dressing room at Highington and a younger players dressing room. So I wasn't sure where to go. So going to the, to the younger one and that's was all where like I said, Eddie Newton, Frank Sinclair, Gareth Hall, David Lee, Damian Matthew, Graham Stewart, all those sorts of guys, they were in there. Um, and it was just a case of like, you know, I didn't know anyone, not anyone at all. Um, so it's a case of just like, and I wasn't probably the, the loudest person initially because, again, you're just in awe of what's around you and you know, you're putting on the kit and it's got the Chelsea badge on and um, you suddenly didn't think you've made it, but you think, right, I'm here now. Let's go and show people what I can do. So um, it was, uh, yeah, a little bit intimidating because of where I'd come from. But saying that, it was something that I was really looking forward to as well. 
It wasn't until April of 92 when you made your debut for Chelsea. You've already mentioned that you felt from the time that you signed to when you made your debut, you felt it was a year too long. But when it came to your debut, eventually, do you remember who it was against? Um, I've probably got this completely wrong. Um, was it Coventry? Or was it Aston Villa? Close with the claret and blue. It was West Ham. In terms of my full debut or coming on as a sub? No, when you came on as a sub. Oh, right. Okay. When you came on as a sub. To be fair, when you your first start for Chelsea, it was against Aston Villa. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think we lost 3 0 that day. Um, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I, it's not something that really sticks in my head because it's, right. more, it's more of a blur, if anything. It's a case of, my God, I'm actually coming on, you know, in a game. It was at Stamford Bridge, if I remember. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, home debut in front of the fans and everything. They're all probably looking at me going, who's this fella? Never heard of him before. But, um, did I come on for Vinnie Jones? I think I came on for Vinnie Jones. Yes, so, you did. Uh, again, an, another massive character in the dressing room. But, um, you know, it, it was just great to get on there. And I think, you again, being on the pitch, you would have been massively nervous until you had that first touch. And then, then you just relax and just get into it because it's just a game of football then. It's funny you should mention his name. His, his name hasn't been mentioned on the podcast much at all. But what was... Vinnie Jones like as a man and as a player in the dressing room? He turned the volume up in the dressing rooms from probably 50 or 60 to 99, I think. Um, <laughs> you always knew. The, the two biggest characters at Chelsea when I was there were, was Vinnie and John Spencer. Right. Um, so Vinnie Jones was just loud. Um, he, you know, he was the one that brought the ghetto blaster into the dressing rooms and stuff. Um, there was always a little bit of controversy in terms of him and Dennis and a few others always, always having little niggles and little bites in, in terms of banter at each other and stuff. And sometimes it overspilled a little bit. But, um, you know, to be fair to Vinny, he was a lot, he was a better footballer than people give him credit for. He can actually play. I know he had this hard man image and stuff and he, and he, he played to that a lot, but he was a lot better technically as a footballer than people give him credit for. So, you know, I was quite surprised at how how fit he was and how how good he was as a player. At this point, when you made your debut in '92, Ian Porterfield was in charge of the team. What was he like as a coach for you? Yeah, he, um, in terms of myself, again, it, it it didn't really do much for me personally in terms of he obviously gave me my debut, which I'm I'm eternally grateful for, but. Um, it, there wasn't any sort of one-to-one work or there wasn't any um, communication, regular communication in terms of what I was doing and stuff. Again, from my perspective, it was, it was a case of get your head down, work hard, and let's see where it goes. Because I, I initially signed a two-year contract, so I was actually coming towards the end of my first contract. And the fact that he... Maybe it was a case of... Because my, my debut was sort of later on in the year, sort of when the season was sort of coming to an end... Maybe it was a case of just saying, look, let's just throw him in. Let's just see if he sinks or swims. And, um, you know, after that, those, that debut and a couple of other games, I then actually got offered a, a new contract. So, obviously, I'd done something right and they'd obviously seen something in me. But it was, it was quite a, a turbulent time at Chelsea in terms of managers. Obviously, we had 
you know, as we go through, Bobby Campbell was there and signed me, but he he left pretty quick. Then Ian Portfield took over. Then he left. Then we had um, Dave Webb for a few months. And then we had um, Glenn Hoddle came in. So there was, there was quite a lot of upheaval and change in, in the time that I was there. Do you feel because of the change in managers quite regularly that that had an impact on your progression at Chelsea that you know you didn't have a manager there for long term that could see what you could do and also see the increase in your ability for Chelsea I think it works both ways I think um yes in terms of what you're saying you'd like to know that if you've got a little bit of longevity there with a club it's because a manager can see something in you on the on the flip side of that you know everyone pretty much got a clean slate under a new manager. So it's down to them to interpret who they feel is good enough to play and who they're not. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't think I got a, I, I got a little bit of a crack of the whip under Ian Poorfield. Didn't really get much under Bobby. Um, you know, I, I had a, for me, the, the best time was, was under Dave Webb in terms of yeah. he came in and, um, you know, he, he, he actually played me quite a bit and, we were in a little bit of trouble when he came in and I think he, he steadied the ship and yeah, I'm not saying it's down to me at all, but um, you know, it was great to be involved in that and great to be you know, part of the team, which you know got us out of the mire a little bit in that season. Of course. And we talk about the 92, 93 season. Ian was there at the start, but didn't complete the season. You wasn't playing regularly for Chelsea at this time. As you say, Ian would prefer either Frank Sinclair on the left-hand side or even Gareth Hall, for example. What was going through your mind at this early point in your Chelsea career? Was there any sort of thoughts about maybe I need to leave or was there thoughts about, you know, if, I st- st- if I'm still here, I'll kick on and see what transpires in, in the future? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was under no illusions. It was the, the first two years was literally just to try and bed myself in and try and get into that first team um, as much as I could. It, it was very frustrating um, when you saw right-footed players playing at left-back, um, as no doubt it probably is at the moment for the England team with Ben Chilwell and <laughs> and uh, Luke Shaw with uh, Trippier playing there the other day. But, um, you know, it's... Obviously, managers are paid to make decisions, and if they felt that was the best option for them, that's that's what their decision was. It was a frustrating time because there was, um, you know, on a Saturday, a game at Stamford Bridge. If you weren't involved in the squad, you were in like a shadow squad, which Eddie Nishvesky would take on a Saturday morning, and basically you just get not not beasted, but you you you'd work really hard for a couple of hours, um, and then you'll go to the game and watch the game and and no one wanted to be in that squad. You wanted to be involved in the first team squad. So it was, it was a little bit frustrating, but again, I, I see the benefits later on in my career in terms of, you know, again, it, it made me into the player that I was. It, it gave me attributes that I probably didn't have at the time. And, you know, when you are a young player and you're sort of 19, 20, you know, sometimes you've got to be patient. I, I think a great example of that is, is Phil Foden at Man City, who could easily have left the club stayed there and, and look what he did last year. Um, you know, Mason Mount is, is not 19, 20. He's, he's a bit older than that. So again, he's had to bide his time, be patient and, um, you know, they get the rewards in the end. You've mentioned him just previously about 
David Webb came in and you started to get a regular run in the side, this must have given you a huge confidence boost that somebody who came in wasn't sure whether he was going to take the job on a, on a permanent basis at that point, but you was playing more regularly. What was sort of the feelings in you like with that? He, he so the best thing about Dave Webb and why I enjoyed my time under him was again, you, you alluded to it earlier, but the first two managers didn't really communicate with me as a player. I don't know if they communicated with, with many players, but Dave Webb did. Um, I'll give you a great example. We we played, so I was in and around the first team squad a lot more with him. You know, I wouldn't necessarily play every week, but I was on the bench and things like that. And especially in those days when there was only two, two maybe three on the bench. Mm-hmm. I think in those days, um, you know, it's great to be involved in that sort of 13, 14 man squad. But we played, we played Liverpool, uh, Middlesbrough at home in one of the games and. Um, we beat them 4-0 and I set two up and I scored and I won man of the match and um, Dave Webb pulled me on the Monday morning. He said, Sonny said, you were brilliant on Saturday. And I said, yeah, thanks, Gaffer. He said, you know, when I get the, the job, you're going to be part of my plans and, um, you know, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to give you a new contract and all of this. And I'm like, oh, great, Buzzy. By the way, you drop for next Saturday. You're on the bench. And I'm like, what? And it was because Dennis Wise was serving a one-match suspension. So that's why I played in that game. But, you know, you, you look back on it now and you just think, you know, great, you know, the communication was there. You know, you're going to be part of my plans, but I'm going to obviously bring the skipper back into the side. But, you you know, it's not a case of you've done badly, you've done brilliantly. Um, but just the communication and the way he said it and stuff, you know, it's funny when I look back at it now, because I remember walking out of the ground with 24 cans of Coors Lager in my hand as they were the sponsors and stuff. And it's like, you know, should we be drinking beer after a game like this? Yeah, as a young lad. But um, I did find beer eventually, by the way. Um, but yeah, it was, um, you know, that's why I enjoyed my time with him because he communicated with us and, and you could tell that he was, a, you know, Chelsea was running through his veins. You know, he's obviously a, a star man when he was there as a player as well. And um yeah, I, I really liked my time underneath him. Well, that game you mentioned when you, you set up two and you scored, that was your first goal for the club. So yes. you must have great memories of that game still now. Yeah, I've seen um, on I've seen the clip of my goal on YouTube and stuff. My celebration is an absolute disgrace. <laughs> um, it's the worst. For someone who scores their first goal for a club to... Uh, to celebrate the way I did um, was just rubbish celebration. But again, you know, I hadn't done it before, so I didn't know what to do. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a great feeling. And and that day, I think we absolutely battered them. I think we could have probably had seven or eight. Um, but yeah, it's um, I, I had a good game that day, and um, yeah, it was just great to be involved in the win and and great to score my first goal. And it's something you you always remember. Well, that summer of 93, Glenn Hoddle became the manager. Uh, David Webb left. What were your thoughts on Glenn taking the job? I thought, brilliant, great. I thought, this guy plays football the way that I want to play football. This is going to be a great time for me. Um, and um, I was really looking forward to to meeting him and um, to seeing 
what he was going to do and, and be, hopefully be involved in his plans. And I actually, after that, um, I'd actually signed a new contract with the club. So I was actually signed a new three-year deal. So I was there now committed to 95. Um, so I was obviously happy there and thinking, oh, yeah, these next three years are going to be great for me because it's going to give me an opportunity to, to really you know, get into this team and, uh, and prove my worth. And Glenn Hoddle is the perfect fit for me in terms of a coach and his, his ability. Your next appearance for Chelsea wasn't until the October of that year. Did you have any conversations with Glenn at that point about the lack of appearances that you had from when Glenn arrived to that October? Yeah, he brought in his own some of his own players and stuff. And um, again, when you're a young player, again, it's a case of because it's a new manager, as you were saying earlier, you've got to prove yourself again a little bit and and hopefully get given an opportunity. I was I was playing. The, the good thing about that time was when you played reserve team football, it wasn't under 23 football like it is nowadays, where it's a little bit. We'll keep the ball. You keep the ball. No one's going to kick each other. Um, I played in the reserve team game in the old combination against an Arsenal team once. And when you look back at the two teams, there's 20 players that actually were internationals or became internationals. So the standard was brilliant. So although you weren't playing in front of big crowds, you were still playing really competitive football. So they still kept you on your toes and kept you ready for playing. It was frustrating not being involved. Um, I knew I had to probably bide my time a little bit with the new manager, but um, again, once you get given a chance, it's um, it's something you've just got to try and grasp with both hands, really. Later that season, you did feature in the FA Cup semi-final win against Luton Town. What are your memories of that day and what's your opinions of the FA Cup as a whole? Yeah, um, yeah it was a great day. I think I played in around previous to that against Sheffield Wednesday um we think we drew one all at home in the in the first round uh, in, in the first leg not leg sorry we drew one all and then we played the replay at their place and no one gave us a hope in hell's chance and it actually went to extra time and we won 3-1 in extra time um but I had to play up against Chris Waddle for two hours and um <laughs> this was when Chris Waddle was sort of at his peak and stuff and um my God, he twisted me upside down, inside out, all over the place. But I stuck to my guns and um, you know, eventually we beat them 3-1. And then we, we got to the semi-final, which was played at Wembley against Luton. I think famously Kerry Dixon was playing for Luton that day as well. That's right, yeah. Um, Craig Burley had had a groin injury all week and um, he was struggling a little bit, but he declared himself fit for the game. And... Um, he managed to play the first 20 minutes and then his groin sort of kicked in. So um, I was on the bench and um, yeah, got put on. And um, I, I just remember the, the, the massive crowd. I remember the game. Um, it was obviously defined by Gavin scoring both goals, Gavin Peacock. And um, you know, what a great player he was, you know, his time at Chelsea was fantastic. He was uh a real leading light in that team at the time. And you know, to have a midfield player like that who could pop up and score goals was was, was great for the team. And um yeah, he um he got us through to the final and um yeah, I was I was buzzing, buzzing to be involved in the final and um 
unfortunately didn't quite get on into the squad. I got into the squad, but I didn't get into the final 14. Um, Glenn Hoddle decided to put himself on the bench instead. In regards to the FA Cup itself as a competition, what are your thoughts on it? Do you still value it as high as what it was? And what are your memories of the FA Cup? No, massively. Um, you know, I've I've been involved in non-league teams. Um, I, I've been involved in, you know, smaller teams than Chelsea and stuff. And there's no bigger thrill than, you know, the non-league teams dreaming of getting to the first round proper and then maybe getting to the third round proper. There's, there's no bigger dreams than, than being at uh, Barnsley Football Club when I was playing there and drawing Man United and, you know, beating Man United in the FA Cup. I mean, I've had some absolutely glorious, glorious times in the FA Cup and I've been very fortunate to, to have played at virtually every level of the FA Cup. So um, whether it was a young lad or when I was coming towards the end of my career or when it was at my sort of peak at, you know, being involved in an FA Cup final, it's, it's very, very fortunate that I've, I've been able to do that and live out lots of people's dreams. But um, I, I think it's the best cup competition in the world and I think everyone loves it and I would hate for it to get devalued like it has a little bit in recent times, um, you know, I think Man City are a great example of a club that take all the cup competitions very, very seriously and put strong teams out. I think Chelsea value the FA Cups. You could argue it's because they've got such strong squads anyway, but, um, you know, it's, it's another way of, of clubs getting... I don't get why clubs play undervalued teams when it's an opportunity to get into Europe. Um, you know, football is essentially a business nowadays, so... Um, you know, the opportunity to earn additional income from something like that means that you should really value the FA Cup and um, hopefully clubs do take it really seriously because it's the best tradition in the world in terms of football and it's revered around the world. I'd like to discuss the build-up to your departure from Chelsea. You was out of the first team for a considerable period at this point. When did you decide that you needed to maybe leave to get the first team football you craved? Yeah, I um, so Glenn Hoddle was the manager of the team, and his assistant was Peter Shreves. And I didn't, Glenn Hoddle was a great coach. Um, his man management wasn't, I don't think, particularly great. Um, so when we got to the FA Cup final, we obviously qualified for Europe the following year. And essentially, uh, Peter Shreves didn't particularly like me as a player, for whatever reason, didn't particularly like me. So I was probably, well, to say I was overlooked would have been an understatement when you consider that Graham Ricks was the youth team manager and he was signed up to the squad the following season and actually played in Europe, um, which basically stuck a knife in into my heart to say I was the only British player not involved in Europe the following season. So right. I knew I knew that season it was time to go. Um, it didn't happen till the end of that season. So I had to sort of bite my tongue, but the writing was on the wall. And, and actually the club offered me a new contract. They offered me a new four-year deal. Um, but I said, I said, no, there's, there's no point. I said, I don't want to play, with all due respect to all the other guys, I don't want to play 
I was 20, come up to 25. I don't want to play at King's Meadow for the reserves in front of 400 people. Um, I've done that enough now. I need to go out and play. So it was the beginning of the 95 season. Um, I did pre-season at Chelsea. And then um, I had an opportunity, I think, to go to Reading for a month. And I went yeah, to she was on loan to Reading for a period. Yeah, yeah. yeah. enjoyed yeah. that. And then they offered me another month and I said yes. And then literally the next day, Mark McGee left and I think he went and joined either Leicester or Wolves as manager. Um, so that kiboshed that because obviously a new manager came in and wanted to work with the players that he had. And then, um, you know, fortunately for me, um, Glenn's, one of Glenn's best mates was, um, oh, was John Gorham, who he was with at Swindon. His assistant manager at Swindon, who he took to England with him as well. And John was the assistant manager at Bristol City at the time. And um, yeah, I got sold to Bristol City. And how did that move come about with Bristol City speaking to Chelsea? And what were your thoughts on it? Was you sort of delighted that there was teams coming in for you at this point and you was looking forward to getting out of the club? Yeah, I, I made it clear that I obviously needed to, you know, have a fresh start somewhere else in terms of, you know, I, I wanted to go and play football. I needed to go and play in front of, I had that buzz of playing in front of crowds for Chelsea and I wanted to experience that. And I knew it was a case of staying, look, I'm going to have to take a step down to go two steps forward again. And, um, you know, there's lots of footballers who stay at clubs, you know, nowadays probably more financially. For me, football was never about earning money. It was great that I got paid to do something I loved. But for me, football was about playing football. And I wanted to play at the highest level against the best players, um, and if that meant me stepping down for a, for a year or two, then that's what I was going to do. And um, yeah, it was obviously Glenn had a relationship with John. John, they were obviously looking for a player. Um, my name obviously came up and, you know, before you know it, it really happens quite quickly. And um, literally you get told, oh, someone's coming for you. Go to Bristol for a medical next week. And it's like, right, OK. And you're literally in the car down there and it's all, everything's done behind the scenes. And you're sitting in the dressing room at, Ashton Gate, you know, waiting for someone to come in to, to welcome you to the club. And you sign a, a two-year, three-year deal there. And, um, yeah, away you go. All things have changed. And looking back now, do you feel that was the right decision for you? Oh, best decision yeah. by a mile. Um, with no disrespect to Chelsea whatsoever, it was I needed to go and play football. Um, and, you know, the first first game for Bristol City, I... I I played, I score a 35-yarder. Um, we win 4-0, I think it was, or 4-1. Um, but there was 13,000 people there. Like, again, it's not Stamford Bridge. Um, the crowds weren't as big as Chelsea, but it was just a chance for me to go out there, play week in, week out, express myself, go and show people what I can do and, and do what I wanted to do from, as we discussed earlier, from the age of seven years old. Mm. So um, I was just buzzing to get out and, and play football. I want to now talk about the current events of what's going on at football at the moment. And one aspect of football that has got a lot of people talking good things and bad things is VAR. So, Darren, I just want to sort of get your thoughts on VAR. Do you feel it's a good thing for football? And if there was anything, how would you adapt it to make it better? 
I would make it really simple. I would say, because uh, many years ago, they they done a thing in terms of players were only offside um, if there was a gap between them and the defenders. And everyone wants to go to football to see goals. Yeah. Very rarely do you go to a football game, which is nil-nil, and you go, oh, that was a great game. You know, it does happen occasionally, but, you know, who didn't love Kevin Keegan's team, which won 4-3 every week or lost 4-3 every week? You know, people go to football to watch goals. So I would make VAR really simple. Give the forward the benefit of the doubt and draw the line. If there's a gap between the forward and, and the defender, if there's an actual gap, he's offside. If there's not a gap, give the forward the benefit of the doubt. So you can see that. So yep, that's I can offside. see that, yeah. That's offside. Um, if there's a gap, he's offside. And there you go, simple. You know, you'd be able to see a gap. Um, drawing all these lines and wasting five minutes and stuff. What's been really refreshing is watching the, um, the Euros. They've been about four or five VAR decisions. And they've been made within about less than a minute. Yeah. Whereas our guys seem to can't work out where two lines are and, and what's onside and what's offside. Um, I think it's the right thing to have in football in terms of, you know, it, it, there are a number of goals and stuff that are scored, which, you know, clearly you can see someone's offside. I don't necessarily agree with going back and back and back. If, if someone's been played onside, you've got to give the linesman a little bit of autonomy in terms of, if they think something's onside, let it play through. You can't come back 30 seconds later and go, oh, he was offside. You know, in the game before last, he was offside once. So, oh, he must be offside. It's a case of let it play through. If it's in that particular movement, that particular time, then, you know, he's offside, fair enough. But if it's if it's 30 seconds before, I think that's ridiculous. That's fair enough. And I think hopefully, as you say, with the Euros that is happening right now, there's been no controversial decisions that's impacted a game. So let's hope, excuse me, let's hope that doesn't change. And also let's hope that with the new Premier League season, that these stupid mistakes are eradicated and somebody has got a bit of common sense about them in regards to the offside rules as well. I mean, the goal line technology, I think is personally has been great. But as you say, offside, just try and keep it simple. Well, there was one example where a player put his arm out so he was classed as offside because his arm was in front of the defender, which is just ridiculous. You know, it's like the handball thing now. I think, you know, show me a player that jumps up in the air without putting his arms up. You have to put your arms up for leverage, but you also put your arms up to protect your face and protect bits and bobs and stuff. Um, You know, no one, I've never, ever seen anyone, unless they're, you know, not quite all there, who just jumped, jumps up with their arms down by their sides, waiting for the ball to hit them in the face or in the chest or in the in, wherever. It's, you know, you, you're always going to raise your arm and that's not an unnatural position. That's a natural position. That's putting your arm up in the air above your head's unnatural. And that's, I can understand that, but to protect your face, that's not handball. But again, it's, it's a topic that you could talk for about 15 hours on. It's, um, it does drive me mad. One other thing I would like to see is I'd like to see an ex-professional footballer be involved in the decision-making as well as a referee. So where they both got to concur. And if they both don't concur, then you play on. You, whatever the referee's decision was, you play on. But if they both concur, then... 
But I think football, you need to have an ex-player in there who can give the player's opinion because at the moment it's just a referee's opinion. And I understand they've got to interpret the laws of the game, but you know, unless you've played the game at a good level, is in a good position to actually judge, you know, that this is why he's done this, for example. But again, it's it, it's a really divisive topic. It really is. Well, again, as you as you say, we'll see what transpires with VAR going forward. But Darren, just a couple of more questions before we do finish. I want to talk about Chelsea of today? European champions for a second time. Tuchel came in mid-season after Frank Lampard got the sack. There's a lot of buzz around the place now with Chelsea fans. Rather more hopeful than expectation about next season's possible winning the Premier League and even doing well again in Europe. So what have been your sort of thoughts on Chelsea? Um, I think... um... Tuchel's come in and sort of, you know, Frank was along the, the right lines, but I think Tuchel's come in and, and really given the team a lot of discipline and a lot of shape. Um, obviously, I'd, I'd like to hope that that Werner um, comes good up front and can bang in 20 goals next season. I think um, if, if he doesn't, then I think... Chelsea needs somebody to bang in 20 goals next season in order to try and win the league. I think everything else is in place. I think that the shape is good. I think the hunger's there. Um, the team were fantastic in the Champions League final. Um, yeah, I, I thought they could have won it by a couple more, to be honest. And um, but it's great to see the young players coming through. So, you know, you've, you've got obviously. Um, Mason Mount, who's been fantastic. Reese James. I thought Reese James and Ben Chilwell in the Champions League final were absolutely superb. They did not give Man City a sniff. And of course, you know, as everyone realises that Chelsea actually cheat in every game where they play 12 players instead of 11 because Kante basically is two players <laughs> and one. Um, the guy's ridiculous. He, um, and what I really love about him is when he gives a foul away, he never complains. He just gets on with it. He accepts the you know, decision regardless of whether he agrees or not. Sometimes you can see in his face a little bit, but I've never, ever seen him back chat a referee ever. But again, you, you've got people in the wings, you know, Billy Gilmore. I think um, you look at Man City and they've won the league and they've essentially got two players in every position. I think Chelsea are getting very, very close to that now mm-hmm. in terms of having two players in every position where they, they can literally chop and change and everything still goes smoothly. I, I really think next season that they are one of the three teams that are going to win the league. I think Liverpool will come strong again once they get their, their some of their players back. And obviously you can never, you know, Man City uh, obviously lost a couple of players at the end of this season, but I still think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens with centre-forwards. Um, mm. You know, where is Haaland going to go if he's going to go anywhere? Where is... Um, Harry Kane going to go if he's going to go anywhere. If those two do move on, depending on where they go, um, I think that could be the the real difference in in who can probably win the league next year. But Chelsea are definitely in in the top two, if not top three, the teams that are going to potentially do well next season. Finally, Darren, how do you look back on your time at Chelsea overall? 
Um, for me, it was a great, great learning curve. Um, it gave me the opportunity to to fulfil my dreams in terms of being a footballer. It gave me a real sound base for uh, learning the game and understanding the game. Um, I learned of some really, really good players um, at Chelsea, Andy Townsend, Dennis Wise, Gavin Peacock. For a very short period of time, David Rowcastle was absolutely brilliant with me. Um, uh, it was, um, and even all the younger players as well, you know, you, you David Lees, you Damien Matthews, you Graeme Stewart, you know, Freddie, uh, Frankie, sorry, and uh, Frank and Eddie Newton. It was a great time to be there because it was, you could see something was going to be happening with the club. And obviously I know Roman Abramovich came in a few years later and stuff, but you know, obviously Glenn Hoddle came in and just as I left, he was he brought in Mark Hughes, he brought in Rude Hullet. Um, you could see things were changing and changing for the better. And um, obviously Chelsea then went on to have a, a fantastic period in their history, um, you know, winning FA Cups, winning um, European tournaments and stuff. And uh, obviously then going on further to have, you know, a great time in terms of winning the league as well, which they hadn't done for many, many years. So, it was um, it was great for me. Really appreciated my time there. Look back on it fondly. It's just a shame that it's been twenty six years since I left, and just goes to show how old we all suddenly get. Um, it's flown by the time, but I wouldn't have changed it for the world. And um, you know, really appreciate the time I had there. And um, it was great. I actually went back um, at the beginning of the season when Chelsea played Barnsley, and I did some radio commentary. And um, one of the stewards uh, come up to me and said, hello, Darren, how's it going? You know, good to see you back and all this. And I'm like, wow, it's been so long, but still, you know, just really appreciate someone taking the time to say that and being remembered at a club where, you know, didn't have a massive inf- you know, influence on the club, but it was, it was a great time for me. And, and even since then, you know, when I finished playing my career, played a few Chelsea old boys games with some of the ex-players and stuff. And, it's just great to meet up and reminisce. It doesn't happen now, but you know, this was probably about 10 years ago now, but it was just great to do that and great to play in the Masters, uh, the old five-a-side tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, in London, playing for Chelsea and stuff like that. It's, it's Those really... were great competitions. I remember watching oh. them on Sky and it was just brilliant. It's a shame they don't do them anymore, but they but were it, fantastic. It, the last one was in 2011 and they, they didn't do 2012 because the Olympics was obviously in London at the time. And then I think they struggled to get sponsors after that, but it was fantastic. And yeah. it was set out crowds. You had ex-players there who were, you know, don't get me wrong, you might have been two stone heavier and, and you know, a lot, lot slower, but the, the competition, the rivalry with Tottenham and QPR yeah. and, and Arsenal and West Ham and stuff, everyone was still kicking lumps out of each other. because they. I remember when you kicked me 15 years ago, you're going to get this one now. And, um, you know, it was brilliant. And to represent the club even then, you know, many years later, was, was fantastic for me. So I really appreciated my time at Chelsea. Well, I, I personally have appreciated you coming on to the podcast today, talking about you know, your time at Chelsea. And just want to say thanks again and hopefully maybe see you down at the bridge one day once all this COVID has all gone and things are turning slightly back to normal yeah that would be great really appreciate it, keith thanks a lot that's okay thank you very much darren cheers mate
This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.